Okay, let's take out our Bibles. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're only going to look at the first four verses of it here this morning. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. One of the things that I've really admired in this church is the generosity that is within it. I mean, I remember when we first came here, one of the things that we needed to do was to get some things taken care of on the building and stuff. The, the paint was kind of peeling off the siding out front, and there was kind of a bare spot where the plaster had let loose in the ceiling up there. And so sat down with the deacons and put together kind of a 10-year plan and and we were going to start with the front because that's where everybody comes up to when they first see it and reside the front of the church. And then we were going to come in here and redo the auditorium. And then we were going to go out and do a side a year and finish siding the outside of the church. And it was just neat to see the, how the church really rallied together behind a project like that. And the first year we put in new windows and siding on the front. Then the next year it was time to start the inside project. And we were thinking, you know, to save on heat bills and stuff, maybe we'd drop down, maybe where the ceiling slopes up, we'd just go flat across with a suspended ceiling. And the balcony was kind of two little rooms up there separated off with these doors that you really had to pry on to get open if you wanted to open the balcony up. And it was just a flat floor up there. And and so we thought, well, we'll just close the balcony off. And, and we came up with a price uh, to do that. It was very reasonable. And the people at the church were like, really? Is that the best we can do? And they said, you know, I'd rather see like a nice wood ceiling. And let's access the balcony, make more seating. And we can do better than that. And we did better than that. We figured out what it would cost to, to put the wood on the ceiling. I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be a bigger project. It's a spendier project. It's going to take a little while to raise the money for that project. And so I started making this little offering box. And the offering box, it looked like a church. had a little steeple on the front. And we'll do like I'd seen other places. We'll, we'll put this little offering box at the back of the auditorium. And we'll make one of those thermometer things up on the wall with how much we need money we need to do this project and how much is coming in. And we'll keep watching that grow each week. And my little offering box, it wasn't done yet. It was put together, but it wasn't painted or anything. And uh, we took the offering the first week and all the money came in. So the little offering box went down in that big closet in the youth room up on a shelf and it got set aside and, and we dove into this project and we got it all done and, and, uh, a little while and then the next year we thought, you know, why take several more years to finish siding the outside of the building? Let's just do it. And all the money came in for that and we just did it and we finished siding the place and, and, and then somebody mentioned, uh, they said, you know, I'd like to give toward a handicap ramp. We need a ramp. We didn't want it outside because we don't want it to be a slippery and a trouble for people that are, may already be struggling. So we finally thought, you know what, the only real feasible way we think we can do this is put it in an addition. We thought we'll build this nice fellowship hall and we'll have that. And, and we remodeled a bunch of the basement with it too and added more classrooms downstairs. And, and we thought, well, maybe we could raise half of that, borrow half of that, and then we'll pay off that loan in like 10 years. And so back to work on my little box. <laughs> and the first week came up and... All the money got pledged for for the thirty thousand that we needed to do our part, and then we went to the bank for the rest, and uh, we got started and we built that. And then somebody said, you know, I really don't like the idea of a church having a mortgage over its head, so why don't we push to pay it off early? And we did. I don't remember how many early years early, but we paid it off early. And you know, I've just always been astounded with uh, the generosity 
of this little church. And I'm not the only one. I know when we've had missionaries come and we take love offerings for our missionaries and stuff, I have often had missionaries come up to me afterwards and say, you know, it's pretty amazing the size love offering I got from a church of this size. God has really blessed us over the years for it. Money is not a subject that I preach on much. We usually work our way through books. And so if there's a spot in the book where it deals with giving, then we cover it. We don't avoid it, but I don't purposely look for it either. You know, in the pushing 25 years that I've been here, we've never had a stewardship campaign. I've never read a book or even a magazine article on church giving. Every once in a while I get emails. Come to our seminar. We can double how much your church is bringing in through giving and that kind of stuff. We'll teach you these principles. Never gone to one of those. Not really overly interested in it. God has just blessed us. He's blessed us with generous people, with with loving hearts and giving hearts. I've always felt that if people are in love with God, you don't have to worry about what they're giving. It takes care of itself. And it's proven to be true. I got curious last night and I went and looked up in the first year that I was here, the year to date, actual amount of money that came in for that year into the church was a little over $31,000. I thought, well, what was it this last year? Last year, the year to date, actual total giving was a little over $120,000. The pandemic hit and one week I saw on Facebook that somebody from the church went on uh, on their Facebook page and put on there, you know, said, you know, don't forget the church still needs to run and the missionaries need to be taken care of and that kind of stuff. And then a few people chimed in on that. Just logically speaking, I figured when the pandemic hit, you know, people are probably going to be time off work, maybe even losing job for a while. Church was shut down for a little while. The doors were the doors were closed. Uh, we were still doing. We went right to doing services, streaming them. Uh, but there's no way to give through that. Uh, we questioned the idea of making a way to give online, thought, nah, let's not do that. So people had to kind of, of their own, find ways to get money to the church or whatever. But you know what, even through uh, all that, with the pandemic and everything, actually giving went up. Well, when I see God's work in this little church and the generosity of the people, it reminds me of what we see in the Old Testament when they went to build Solomon's temple. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. In Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 to 5, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then it had a whole big list of other things that you could bring as well. And then uh, several verses later, in verse 21 of chapter 35, says, And they came, everyone whose heart, was, whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So God says, alright, I want everybody to just give, just give what is in your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to give, give that. And we'll take that, and that's what we'll use to build the tabernacle for God. Actually, it's not Solomon's temple. It's the tabernacle with Moses out in the wilderness. In chapter 36, verses 5-7, through seven, it says, And said to Moses, Now, who's saying this to Moses? It's the craftsmen. So you have all the people that were skilled in the, the, the crafts, of the trades, to be able to put together the tabernacle. They collect all this stuff from the people and give it to the craftsmen. And the craftsmen take it and begin to build the tabernacle. And then the craftsmen come back to Moses. And they said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. 
You see, God just gave them the opportunity. So they're going to build my tent in the middle of all you people for you to worship in and just bring whatever your heart desires. And you know what happened? The, the coffers got overflowing. That is what's commended to us, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so the generosity that we see in the Old Testament as they went to build the tabernacle is the same generosity that we see encouraged in the New Testament as they're going to help other believers uh, in a cause that was uh, happening at the time dealing with Jerusalem. Uh, And it's the same thing that God wants to see within us. Well, as we come to this passage this morning, that's what we're considering is this biblical generosity. As it unfolds before us, I'd like to recognize four elements of biblical generosity that are found within this passage. The first one is the purpose. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. A little bit farther down the passage, he points out that the gift that they're collecting will go to Jerusalem to help the saints there in overcoming their time of poverty. Now, why are they in this time of poverty? Um, From what I understand at the time, Jerusalem was a fairly impoverished city. A lot of the wealth that supported the city of Jerusalem probably came from wealthy pilgrims that traveled on the feast days to come and celebrate those feasts in Jerusalem and would bring uh, their money with them and their contributions with them. We do see poverty happening in Jerusalem right off the bat when we look at the early Christian church and its, its foundings because the early church was persecuted heavily in Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, you find that an intense persecution arose, so much so that it scattered a lot of the believers. A lot of the believers left Jerusalem, went out to the surrounding area in Judea. The gospel spread that way because everywhere they went, they took the gospel with them and proclaimed the gospel. But there was a heavy persecution that broke out that would have caused a lot of poverty. But you know what? It appears that part of that poverty was already there. Now, by the time the letter to Corinth is written, it's possible that a famine has also kicked in. And so when you read in Acts chapter 11, a, a prophet comes and warns of a famine that was going to happen in, in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. So that also would have compounded the poverty that was in the city. And already their wealthier people have sold off their possessions to cover the poverty of that time. So this is a group of people that could use some help. That's what he's calling them to. The early church was known for taking care of its own. And not only that, but also helping out others along the way as well. In fact, a, a statesman from the second century Aristides, he wrote this in in the second century, talking about Christians. He said, They walk in humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They despise not the widow, and they grieve not the orphan. He that hath distributeth liberally to him that hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof, and they rejoice over him as if he were their brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit and in God. But when one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is in prison or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy and they have not an abundance of necessity, they will fast 
two or three days that they may supply the needy with his necessary food. Well, not only do we see the purpose, the purpose was that they could be a benefit to these people, that they could bring honor and glory to God by providing for the needs of these people uh, in another place and in providing for them. And that's why recently we systematically took an offering for several weeks that we could then send ahead to help people uh, of Ukraine and providing these, uh, the believers in Ukraine for providing these kind of services to other believers and uh, other people who aren't believers as they reach out to them with the gospel as well. But then also we see not only the purpose, it also points out the participants. Because it says that they're to do it. He says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. He says that each of them were just supposed to lay aside at the first day of the week. And so you have uh, each of the people or each family within the church was, was encouraged to participate. Each church was in, encouraged to participate. As he points out that the other churches of Asia Minor were participating as well. In fact, that may be how they found out uh, church ministry. That's what it is. It's cooperative. We work together. This is, there isn't anything in this church that is any, just one person doing anything. It's all supported. It's, it's, it's all, all of us. It's, everything is a church activity. Whether you're actually there when that activity is taking place or not, that ministry is still funded through your giving. Church ministry is upheld through your prayers and it is uh, strengthened and encouraged by your participation, even fellowship, even concern about these things as you, as you discuss these kinds of ministries. The church is a body, even as he talked about in an earlier chapter. The church is a body, and it's never just part of our body that's doing anything. All of the church is engaged when the church is involved in anything. Well, then, not only that, but we also see the place. Now, he doesn't specifically mention the church here in this place, other than the fact that he's writing to the church. And so the, there, this letter is being read in the church, and so there's a lot of that thing right off the bat. But the giving, actually, too, is being taking place in the church. And it's being collected in the church. And the reason that I think that is because of a couple of things. He says, uh, let's see, in verse 2, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Now, the word for setting it aside is actually the word that uh, we get our word thesaurus from. But a thesaurus is what? It's a treasury of of words uh, that you can go to that treasury and and use what you need to use, find what you need to use. Well, that's the word in the Greek language. You need to be storing that up. Now, the reason I'd say he's uh, pointing to a place here is because in the temples in that time period, in the New Testament time period, in both uh, pagan temples and Jewish temples, the idea of a storehouse was closely related to or associated with their temples. In fact, they used their temples, uh, even in some instances, it seems like it was kind of the early form of a bank. Uh, when you read about the Jewish uh, temple, you find that there was apartments that they said that were inside the temple that were used for storing offerings. Even public documents were stored within the temple. And even some of the property, widows and orphans, uh, some of their property was uh, personal belongings, could be stored within the temple. For them to read about this uh, storing it up, uh, I think their mind would immediately go to storing it up in the church. Also, the rest of the explanation from the passage or the direction doesn't make much sense if it's not talking about storing it up in the church. In other words, why the focus on the first day? Right? Because the Jewish community always worshipped on the seventh day as God had given them the Sabbath. The early church very quickly changed 
to be coming the Lord's Day on Sunday where they would worship because we worship every week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which happened on the first day of the week. When you first read it, it looks like maybe you're telling you to kind of put it in a piggy bank at home, that kind of a thing. But I don't think that's what he's telling them them to do. The reason is because why would he say the first day of the week? If you're just setting it aside at home, who, who cares what day of the week you do that on? That doesn't really make sense why he would say do it on the first day of the week. If, but if he's talking about them gathering together to worship and taking a collection for the saints, well then that makes more sense because that's when they gathered together to, was to worship every week. But then not only that, notice he also goes on to say, um, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, if if they're not bringing it into the church and, and putting it in the offering at the church, giving it at the church, then you still have to do all the collecting when he comes because everybody will still have it at home. The collecting wouldn't actually have taken place. So that statement doesn't seem to make any sense at all if he's talking about just setting it aside at home. So it appears that what he's talking about is, like I mentioned, like we did recently for Ukraine. And we said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to collect for Ukraine. We want to give an offering to Ukraine. And I had several people catch me in the hallway, maybe before church or after church, and they'd say, is it just this week? Uh, because, you know, maybe they weren't prepared to give that week, or maybe it wasn't their payday yet, or well, for whatever reason. And so we made the decision that we would give, but it would be uh, ongoing for several weeks. People could give whenever it was convenient to them. And you bring it in and you designate it in an offering and that's what it's going to. And that's after we did that for a few weeks, then we shipped it out. We sent it out so that they would have it to use. We didn't want to sit on it real long because those people need it. But at the same time, we wanted to be able to give everybody an opportunity because many people wanted to participate but just weren't ready yet, just needed a week or two. And so that seems to be what he's doing with the Corinthians here. Is you're just saying, look, as you come in, designate it in your offering, collect it, put it in that offering that gets set aside for the, for the saints of Jerusalem. And uh, when it's time to ship it, we will get it to them. And so there is definitely, I think, him hinting at a place that this is something they were to do collectively as a church. But then also, let's notice lastly the principles. And within these, the the principles that I find that he delineates as we go through the passage, uh, there's three of them. Uh, The first principle that we find is that it's persistent. Because he says, on the first day of every week... Each of you is to put something aside to store it up as he may prosper. So there be no collecting when I come. They were to be persistent in their giving. You know, it wasn't maybe just a one-time thing. In our giving as part of our worship, it's to be a regular part of our experience with God, of our worship of God. Why? Because it's, it's part of our giving our heart to God. In, in the second letter to the Corinthians, he talks about these people that were just uh, so generous. And he said, you know what? They gave first of themselves. They gave of themselves to the Lord and then out of that came this generosity. When we love the Lord, when we experience that worship, it's just natural for us to uh, give in that way, to give of ourselves and to give of our, our finances. I remember, a, I remember a missionary that came to a church that I was back when I was a new Christian. He said, you know what, if I can go through the ledger of your checkbook, I can know a lot about your heart. Because the fact of the matter is we don't mind putting money into the things that we love. And I thought, you know what, that's exactly right things that are special to me, things that I care about. I don't, I don't mind spending money on those things. And so it's a really a way to evaluate our, our heart. Jesus uh, mentioned that as well. And that's why it's to be persistent, because our relationship with God is to be persistent and ongoing. Well, not only is it to be persistent, but it's also to be proportionate. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should put up something aside and store it up as he may prosper. 
when we were newly married and just getting a start in life and making uh, $5 an hour, uh, there wasn't a lot to go around. To be honest with you, we went through some ups and downs in our generosity or in our giving. We learned some lessons the hard way. There was times where we said, you know what, I really can't afford to give anything right now. And then there were other times where we said, well, whether we can afford it or not, we should be doing it. Let's do it as a step of faith. And so there were faith moments and there were failure moments. Um, but you know what? In our giving, what I could afford to give back then wasn't nearly what I can afford to give now. One of the things that we did is we just kind of went off of a percentage. In the Old Testament, there was a tithe that they often talked about that was 10%. And so we just kind of locked into giving 10% of our income. So as your income goes up, so does your giving. And then we look for ways that we give beyond that as well. But that way it keeps it proportionate. You know, the fact of the matter is, is one person giving a little might actually be giving a lot when another person giving a lot might actually be giving much less. Well, you know, Jesus recognized this as well. He addressed it with a widow in Mark 12, 41 through 44. It says, and he sat down opposite to treasury, talking about Jesus, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You know, a dollar amount is is very relative. What you give has to be compared to what you have. And it's according to what you have, not what you don't have, the Bible tells us. You know, Proverbs recognize this as well, but it recognizes at the same time, the Bible, that, that there's also some blessing that comes with giving as well. That needs to be factored into it also. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs chapter 11 also states, One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in this life is you don't grow wealthier by hoarding what you have. And that's what he's pointing out here. He says, you know what, there's people that are very free and generous in giving, and and those are not the people that are going to be lacking. They're not going to be lacking because they gave everything away. Why? Because God blesses people with a generous spirit. Then lastly, we notice that it is protected. So this kind of deals with the other end of it. In other words, it's the responsibility of where the funds are placed. It says in verse 3, it says, When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Look, he's just saying, when I get there, the people that you choose to take this money to Jerusalem is who is going to do it. In other words, the church was going to select out from among itself people that were honorable and trustworthy and to send this large amount of money with and to go with it. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying, look, um, he's going to go to Jerusalem too. If you want me to go with uh, as part of that, then I, then I can. If not, no big deal. Whatever's, whatever works out the best. You know, when I look at his involvement, he's not inserting himself everywhere and insisting on taking the lead in all those things. I, I like that approach. In fact, when it, comes to, when it comes to our church, I have not one clue what goes on with the giving in our church. I have no idea who gives what and do not care to know, do not want to know. Uh, I don't handle any of the finances. Well, I shouldn't say that because I do have the church debit card. 
for uh, buying things for release time ministries and different, uh, you know, I'm often the one doing the purchasing on, on some things and others I'm not involved in doing the purchasing on, but I have no clue who, who gives what or how all that stuff is. Our financial uh, secretary or treasurer does all that stuff. And the Apostle Paul, he's not inserting himself in there. He's saying, if you want me to go along with them to help out, glad to do it. But notice what's happening here is there's an accountability. He says people that you are holding accountable will be the ones handling the money. You know, the church has a responsibility with all the money that comes into it to make sure that that money is handled well, that there's some, there's some protections that are put in place. And that's what we do. Uh, we see these protections also in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. Part of the protection is, is the purpose behind the offering. He would encourage the people in 2 Corinthians in his letter to them there. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. And he says that it comes around the other way. In times when you have need, they'll help you too. And so one of the protections that he puts in is he's saying, look, we're not trying to give people just an easy path on your dime. We're not just trying to relieve other people's burdens and it be all on you. We're just trying to make sure that people are taken care of. You know, we've done that as a church. We like to err on the side of grace. Right, so when when somebody comes in and, and says, you know what, we're we're struggling, uh, we we really need some help. Usually, uh, when that happens, most of the time it's granted. Right now, if it's something, if it's something, there's somebody with a with an issue going on that uh, that's very visible in the world and in life that making foolish decisions and doing foolish things, then maybe that'll be turned down. But but the fact of the matter is, is a lot of times we we want to help people out. We want to help, but then uh, sometimes I will mention to them that you know what. If this continues, then I'm going to have some more questions that I'm going to need to ask. Not that I want to, but I'm going to have to pry a little bit into your personal business. And the reason that I do that is because I can't just take the church's money. I just can't take your money that you worked hard for and you donated to the church that you gave away and just give it to make somebody else's life easy who's making foolish decisions. I can't do that. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, look, we're not trying to just take somebody else and give them a smooth sailing, easy ride, let them skate through without working while you uh, pay for their way. Second Thessalonians, he went so far as he had people that were quitting work because they thought Christ was going to come at any moment. So they're quitting their jobs and that kind of stuff and not providing for their own. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, nope, we're not going to do that. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That kind of thing. You're an able-bodied person not working, being idle. We're not encouraging that. And so they put restrictions on where they would help or who they would help in that way. When the church first formed, first thing that they did with those gifts as they wanted to help other people, they came and they laid those gifts at the apostles' feet. Why? Because the apostles were trusted. But then there ended up rising a, pr- a problem, a problem with the widows. Some of the Greek-speaking people were saying, hey, you know what, our widows aren't being taken care of as well as the Jewish people's widows. And so, you know what, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, you know what, we don't have time to be taking care of the widows and doing all the preaching and teaching and everything as well. So what we need, you know what we need? We need deacons. And they selected their first group of deacons. The deacons were trusted people that they put in charge to handle that problem. You know what, when you get to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he goes through a whole list of 
what you're supposed to do with supporting the widows. And there was accountability even built into that. He told them that they weren't supposed to allow a widow on the rolls uh, to be helped in this way unless a couple things happened. One, they didn't have any family to take care of them. Because the first responsibility is family responsibility. So then secondly, if they're a young woman, then they still need to, they need to marry, they need to raise kids, raise a family. And then he also put uh, qualifications on them as far as a, a level of godliness. So we're not going to provide to support people to just go around and be busybodies in other people's business. So we're not going to, we're not going to do that. And so even put restrictions on how the widows were to be taken care of. And so what is my point in, in all of this is that the church was very generous, but in its generosity, it recognized that it also had a responsibility. You know what? That just works hand in hand. If the church doesn't look like it's taking those things seriously, if it doesn't look like the help is getting to the people that it needs to get to, or if it looks like it's getting to people that are taking advantage of a system, then people lose confidence and nobody wants to give to that. And so as we look at the whole thing as a picture together, we see the biblical generosity involves several things. It involves a purpose to bring glory to God, benefit to other people. It involves participants. We all get to participate. We all get to be contributors and cooperate together in these things. It involves a a place. It involves principles of being persistent, being consistently generous, uh, being proportionate. And then also that it needs to be protected so that um, everything is uh, above board and the ministry that is supposed to take place is actually taking place.